Good morning. My name is Crystal Bauer, and this morning our scripture reading is from the book of Acts. I'll be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 from the NIV version. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. In my former book, Theolophus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After this suffering, sorry, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Today we have a special guest preacher, the new superintendent of our conference. We are part of a denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church, and we have the Pacific Northwest Conference uh, that we are a part of. And the superintendent's name is Greg E. And I just wanted to say a couple of words before he comes up here because he is uh, a very dear uh, friend of mine. He has walked me through church planting and you know some of those crazy Susie stories I tell? Was he's mediated some of them uh, for us. And so uh, he's just been a lover of my soul and a really uh, companion in, um, in ministry and in life. So I really appreciate him and his family. And uh, we've dreamt about uh, working together for years and years and years. And uh, today we get to be part of the same conference, and he gets to be my superintendent. So I'm thrilled to have him on my speed dial and here with us today. So Greg, come on up and introduce your family to us and share God's word. Let's give him a warm welcome, everyone. Unfortunately, my wife was uh, at the first service, and she had to step away for work. But I have my younger two kids here. Aaron, raise your hand, 13 years old, right there, middle school. And Caden, that's the calmest you'll ever see him right there, just like that. (laughs) He's nine years old. We have uh, our oldest, who's 19, who's a sophomore at uh, Azusa Pacific down in L.A., and uh, he's enjoying... 80-plus degree weather right now. Well, it is good to be here. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, church staff. And uh, it uh, is wonderful to be here. Uh, Peter uh, had to step out the first service and didn't hear kind of, I guess, my official announcement. He's been, he said, Greg, you have to, you guys have to go to Mercer or to Evergreen. And I said, oh, Peter, you know, give us, give us time, settle in, you know, and I've been pushing them off, pushing them off, pushing them off. But Mary and I have decided that we're going to call this our home church, uh, which is great. I hear your pastor's okay, so I think we'll, we'll make that official. So thank you. 
looking forward to doing life and ministry together. Um, we are going to be looking at 11 chapters in Acts today, not verse by verse, obviously, but uh, we're going to do an overview, okay? And this overview, uh, what I really am wanting to do is uh, to ask um, a pretty basic question, actually. And there's going to be just a lot of touch points that we'll have along the way as we look at the 11 chapters. But the, the one main question that I really want to ask is, what do we truly believe flows out of the cross? What do we really believe about the cross and how that affects us, how that changes us, how that challenges us? Because it's true, right? Our beliefs always lead to actions, right? Well, maybe not always, right? Because some of you are like, I'm not sure. Because sometimes I say I believe something, and I believe that I should eat healthy, and I don't always eat healthy, right? Really, what we should be doing is just looking at our actions. Because our actions more clearly reveal what we truly believe, right? And so today, as we just walk through the 11 chapters, it's just going to be a time for us to to kind of reflect and, and ask ourselves that question. What do we truly believe? And what are the actions that are showing that in my life? Um, how many of you are dog owners? Dog owners? Oh, a lot. A lot more in this service than the last service. Um, we used to have a, a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Um, this was our dog that uh, we brought into our family when we were living in Chicago. Faithful friend. For those of you who know Chesapeake, just beautiful dogs. Uh, brown, curly-coated dog. You know, duck hunters. We're not duck hunters, but um, just a great dog to have in Chicago. And um, it was really sad. He, he was getting old and couldn't really stand up anymore. So we had to put him down a couple of years ago. And all five of us were at the vet. Um, we lived in Sacramento at the time. And uh, just crying, 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 saying goodbye to Chester. Now you have the password to all my accounts. Um, so, uh, um, so just a, literally, just a couple of months after we said goodbye to Chester, uh, I was on. Uh, I was out of town, and my wife is texting me, and she's like rapidly texting me. That's how I remember it. Uh, I'm at the. Uh, I'm at the pound, and really like this dog. And oh, she's really cute. And oh, we're bringing her home. You know, I had no say whatsoever. So just hold it there. Just hold. It. Don't move it. Okay. So that's Shasta. Shasta came into our family what two years ago? Three years? About two years ago. Um, and she's a wonderful dog. Uh, you know, she's half shepherd. And look at the next picture, half corgi. Okay. Yes, she is a freak of nature. <laughs> okay. So whenever we take Shasta to the dog park, it's not, oh, what a beautiful dog. It's like, what's that? <laughs> and every time I show her a picture, congregations laugh at my dog. She's a sweet, sweet dog. You show the next picture. She really, she really looks like Doug from Up. <laughs> so, that's Shasta. You can take that off now. Um, sometimes I think that we believe in what flows out of the cross much like what we believe in our dogs. Right? That our dogs are something that are they're domesticated animals. Right? That I say, hey, Shasta, okay, it's time to go out, put you on leash, take you to the park. You can, st- big park, but there's a gate so you don't run out. And uh, you can be free. You can run free for an hour, maybe two hours if you're lucky, you know. 
and they put you back on leash and bring you back home, right? Sometimes I, I realize that my belief of what flows out of the cross is like that, that it's domesticated. Instead of being wild and free, like the Lion of Judah, right? Like Aslan, right? It's like Shasta, that I just want to make sure just kind of goes this far only and for only this time. And then when I gets too crazy or I'm tired, I'm going to bring you back, right? Our beliefs always lead to actions and our actions most clearly reveal what we actually believe. God, as we open up Acts 1 through 11, we pray your blessing upon it. We confess again that we believe that this is your holy scripture that is living and breathing and pierces our innermost being. And so we just surrender ourselves to that truth, God, and worship you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, turn with me to Acts 1. We're going to, again, do the overview, so it's going to be important to ha- for you to have the scripture in front of you. We remember that Acts, is, uh, Acts comes after the four Gospels that, that tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry, and at the very end, he's crucified, and he's buried, and he rises again. And as he rises again, he appears to the disciples and over 500 people, and he continues to teach about the kingdom. Okay, this, this crazy thing about this new order that is being established, right? That what was accomplished on the cross is now uh, what, what, what is something very significant is going to flow out of that. And he's preaching towards that, right? And then we have there, right in the beginning of Acts, he's about to be taken up into the clouds. And then he says a couple of words to his disciples one last time. It was like a, a couple of years ago, I was um, losing my, I thought I was losing my hearing. I, I felt like I was starting to read lips uh, more. And uh, my mom has some profound hearing loss. I'm like, oh no, it's starting really early. What's going on here? I just felt like I wasn't hearing people. So I went to the audiologist and did the clicker thing in the booth and came out and I was bracing myself for the bad news and said, so what does it look like? And he says to me, your hearing's normal. <laughs> and that was great news on one hand, but I was just confused. I said, so what do you think is going on? And he quickly said to me, he goes, I, I, I think you have a listening problem. <laughs> Stupid me, call my wife immediately. Honey, I only have a listening problem. <laughs> it's in your medical chart now. No duh, right? Oh, I think Jesus is right there. He's saying, I just want to make sure you're hearing me. Okay, I'm about to leave you physically. I'm about to be taken up into the clouds. I want to make sure you are hearing me. Verse 7, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive, what's the word there? Say it out loud. Power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Says the Great Commission, right? And so often we hear this Great Commission, and we often frame this as going from the domestic to the international, which it certainly is, and we need to do that. But I want to put forward to you that it's more than that. I believe as we see through Acts 1 through 11, it's not so much going from the domestic to the international, but going from those places that are predictable to some unpredictable places, likely to unlikely places, to places that are familiar and perhaps comfortable, to increasingly more uncomfortable places. And so Jesus is just about to be taken up into the clouds here in chapter 1. He goes, I want to make sure you hear me. 
Okay? So we get to chapter 2. The church is born. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. You have this crazy scene there, right? With the whirlwind in the room and the tongues of fire over everybody's head. The understanding of languages that's going on. Amazing scene. And then we have Peter preaching the very first sermon in that young church in verse 17. And he preaches out of the prophet Joel. He says, in the last day, days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They, they will speak these needed words, right? They, they, they will speak these things that perhaps need to be corrected or readjusted. They will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your young men will dream. Uh, your old men will dream dreams. It's this multi-generational description, right, of not just the younger people prophesying, but also the older people having visions as well. Older people, you're not done. Okay, this is a multi-generational description of people being captured by the power of the Holy Spirit, being in community and saying, "Okay, what do you want for us? What are we dreaming? What are we envisioning? What are you putting us in the middle of now, God? If you're anything like me, I know that I dream and have visions about a lot of different things that are not so much about the kingdom. (laughs) Right. My web search about some product I want to buy something I really want happen in life, a vision of where I want my kids to be. And these are not bad in and of themselves, but I realize that where are my kingdom visions? Where are our kingdom visions as a church? What are we dreaming? We have this incredible description at the end of this chapter of radical uh, generosity, Right? The community is coming together and they're, um, they're worshiping and breaking bread and praying and listening to the teaching. And these people are, some have needs and some have abundance. And people are being radical about their generosity. Oh, I, I have this extra piece of property, this, this vacation home, this extra car. I'm going to sell it. Take the, the jacket off my back. Take the shoes off my feet because I see needs here. And we have this description here in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we have Peter and John. They're walking down the road, and they run into this guy whose entire life, his posture has been this. It's been this, right? So Peter and John walk by him. He's been lame. He's been uh, not able to work, and he's been begging his entire life. He puts out his hand like he always does, and in my mind's eye, he says, can you help a brother out, right? And then Peter and John walk by, and they say, you know what? We don't have gold or silver, but what we do have is Jesus, And they reach down their hand, and for the very first time in this guy's life, he begins to feel the weight of his own body on his ankles and his feet. And the scripture is describing there that he begins to jump up and run across the courtyard there in the temple, and people are probably looking across like, is that this guy? What is going on here? This crescendo is building. This snowball is building strength. It's just growing and growing, and we see this through the first three chapters. There's healing That's going on. Healing is part of this trajectory. For some of us, it's physical healing. For some of us, it's healing from addictions, healing from pain and and, and deep uh, woundedness from the past. Healing of what is about uh, this, this kingdom being established is taking us out of this darkness, taking us out of these shadows, taking us out of these broken parts of our lives and restoring them. And bringing us into the light and into wholeness and into freedom. That's what's going on here in chapter 3. 
chapter 4, we have Peter and John before the Sanhedrin and the, the, the religious establishment, and they're jailed. They're, they're put in jail. And how many times are we in these seasons like, oh my gosh, we don't have a leader. Oh my gosh, this person can't be with us anymore. Oh my gosh, these things are happening. These situations uh, are too overwhelming. How can we move on? And yet, because they were so committed to what was flowing out of the reality of Jesus, it says in verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. And the number of men grew to about 5,000, and you add the women and children to that as well. In chapter uh, 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, even amongst all of this craziness, right? All of these trials, all of these roadblocks that they're running into, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary guys, right? They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what happens when we walk intimately with Jesus. Doesn't matter what comes our way, right? There's just this aroma of life that continues to flow out, even though there's so much craziness that's flowing around us. That's part of the trajectory. Then we get to chapter five. What do you see here at the beginning of chapter 5? What's the first word there? Say it out loud. Now or but. Do you see that there? Now or but. Contrastive conjunction that's basically saying, I've been describing something to you for four chapters, but I'm about to describe something else to you now. Okay? I've been describing this trajectory that's flowing, 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 but let me, let me just kind of stop here and describe something else. And he begins to tell the story of Ananias and Sapphira. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, it's this couple that basically was faking it. They were like, yes, we're in. We want to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We believe we want to be on this trajectory. But they weren't. They weren't all in. They, they were only given about half. You know, they're just given a part of it, but pretending to be all in. Reminds me of a story several years ago when um, I was driving north on Highway 5 from Sacramento. It's in the left lane, what we call the fast lane, which you guys don't have, obviously, here in Washington. <laughs> One of the frustrating things of the move. Um, it's in the fast lane. It's in the left lane uh, there. And I'd came, come to a stop. Traffic had uh, come to a stop. And the next thing I knew, a couple seconds later, the airbag was going off and things were being thrown around the passenger compartment. And the guy behind me, I didn't hear any skidding, right? So he just took his eyes off the road and just slammed into me. If you look at the picture of my four-door Honda Accord, it's just like the whole backside just got accordion. Just grateful the kids weren't in there. The glass half empty part of this story is that I had to be in several months of physical therapy, uh, slight fracture to my hip, just not a, a good deal. Um, it was pretty frustrating, pretty frustrating, sciatica, all that stuff. Uh, but the glass half full part of this story is that I got a, uh, a handicap placard. <laughs> okay, for those of you who have handicap placards, right? Uh, my father-in-law has a handicap placard, and I'll take my father-in-law anywhere he wants to go. Right? So it was awesome also because it was during Christmas time. Okay? So <laughs> to pull right up to that front space, right? Scripture says that we are the body of Christ. Right? That all of us who follow Jesus uh, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit placed gifts in us, abilities in us, and that we're all part, parts of this body with Christ as its head. That scripture describes this body of Christ, right? This, this uh, Olympic train, boot camp tone, professional ballerina strength, body of Christ, right? But so often, if, if you're like me, it's, it's, 
yeah, you know, I don't really want to be that part right now. It takes too much time. It takes too much effort. It takes too much money. It takes whatever it is, right? It's nice not having to pay the meter. It's nice to just park up close. The body can handle it, you know? They don't need, they don't need me. We'll be okay. And we settle for the handicapped body of Christ, if I may, Right? It's one of these times in Scripture where we stop and we see this contrastive conjunction. We see this but, and we're trying to follow this trajectory that flows out of the cross, and we have to ask ourselves, what trajectory are we on? Are we continuing to be on the trajectory of the first four chapters? Or am I on the other side of this but, that I'm actually on the trajectory of Ananias and Sapphira that's not all in, right? Let's go to chapter 6, the choosing of the seven. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Here we have here um, the first conflict that really is arising. Right? You have two groups of people that uh, suddenly are, are at odds with each other. They're kind of looking across the room saying, hey, yeah, but that's not fair, and that's not right, and why is this happening? And that, that hurts, right? There's conflict that's going on. Now, I want to say to you, church, that we need to understand that conflict is natural and normal. That conflict should be natural and normal for us as a church. That conflict should be natural and normal in all healthy relationships. I know you've talked about that uh, in the past here at Evergreen. That uh, conflict, I often think of being in the middle of a fast-moving river, right? With um, kind of the, our humanness kind of taking us downstream, right? Where there's uh, disconnectedness or disunity. And upstream is unity and oneness. And it's so easy, right? Whenever I'm in conflict, my wife and I, we've been married for 24 years. Obviously, we got married when we were five years old, right? And um, in our 24, it's so easy, right? It's so easy to, to, to get into an argument with my dear wife and to just let my humanness flow downstream, right? Silent treatment. Right? It's just so easy. Grab the keys. I, I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with this. Right? It's much harder to have to sit down and go, okay, um, let, me, let me hear that again. Let me, let me understand your perspective. Or uh, maybe we need to get into some marriage counseling. You know, maybe, maybe we need to, to, to work, get some tools for the toolbox to work stuff out. It's a lot harder to go this way. And yet scripture says, as much as it depends on you, Romans 12, 8, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, right? Do your part, right? Uh, Matthew 18 says, if somebody sins against you, you go talk to that person and outlines other conversations that might need to happen, right? Go make that right. Scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Otherwise, what? The devil might get a foothold in your relationship or in your small group or in your church, or in your family, right? Uh, in, uh, to the Corinthians, Paul says, uh, Jesus was the great reconciler. He reconciled us to the Father. And now you go and be agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of reconciliation, right? He says, now you are the representatives of this good thing that we know to be true that brought us to the Father. So conflict gives us that opportunity to show that to be true, right? 
So chapter 6 reminds us yet again that this flow that comes out of the cross, the very message and core of the cross, that reconciliation and conflict resolution is natural and normal. Let's continue to go upstream, upstream, upstream. Chapter 7, we have Stephen uh, before the religious establishment. He starts talking about their mamas and their papas. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. They had heard enough of Stephen. They couldn't put up with him any longer. They stone him to death. And a great persecution breaks out. Um, We see in uh, chapter 8, the message goes from Jerusalem and Judea. It now goes to Samaria. Right, This place that uh, if there were an interstate going right through, they wouldn't take the interstate, right? They'd take the country road around. They didn't want to hang out with these folks. These, these folks were half-breeds, right? Now it's going to Samaria, and we have this description in verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. I love this sentence. So there was great joy in that city. That's what happens, right? There was great joy in that city because the Christians, the followers of Christ, this new church and all churches stayed on the trajectory, right? They continued to go to these crazy places, these unlikely places, and they were just all in. And what we see here is here with Philip that because of what was happening in Samaria, joy was was brought into this city. Right? And there was great joy on Mercer Island because of Evergreen Church. There was great joy on the east side and Seattle and throughout the Puget Sound area because of the churches, because of the people that follow Christ and that are all in. Amazing description here in chapter 9. It's just growing in momentum, growing this crescendo. Chapter 10, Peter and John are at Cornelius' house. And during the noontime prayer, Peter is up on the roof and he has this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven with all of these animals that were once unclean, untouchable, right? These proximity laws that they they used to have and, and, and they weren't supposed to touch or partake of, right? And so the voice of God says to Peter, it's a new day. It's a new way. I want you now to go there. I want you to take it in and make it part of yourself and go there. I'm sending you to some crazy places, Peter. And this is representative of that. And then we get to chapter 11. This is where we're coming in for landing. It's gone from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Then we just note that uh, in chapter 8 where it says... um, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 11, verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, there's a connection there that's basically saying there's a new chapter that I'm trying to introduce, Luke is trying to introduce. So in chapter 8, he's saying it's going to Samaria now. And now in chapter 11, he's saying it's going to the rest of the world. But, but get this, it's still the Roman Empire. Okay? So they're in Antioch. And let me tell you a little bit about Antioch. Antioch was the fourth largest city in the empire at that time behind Rome, Alexandria, and Ephesus. It was a political center there on the eastern side of the Mediterranean because uh, they just wanted to make sure they had influence there. 
It also was a commercial center with its connection to the sea, but also archaeologists have found uh, the remains of my people, the Chinese there in Antioch, so they had a road east, a connection east as well. It also had the Sin City reputation. If we think of Las Vegas times 10, literally, it's just nasty stuff that's described in history books. And it was like a derogatory term to say, hey, you're from Antioch. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're that kind of person. And even though if the person's not, it was just a, a derogatory term in those days, right? It was geographically a small city. It was two miles by one mile. Conservative estimates say that about 40% of that two by one was public space, and you know, the Romans loved their fountains and their theaters and stuff like that. So in 60% of that two-by-one, there lived 150,000 people, okay? And you can't think like high-rise apartments like in Asia or here in Seattle or San Francisco. I mean, you know, they probably could build up to about six stories. They didn't have a sewer system, right? It was bucket patrol. They didn't have soap, high disease, high mortality. Half the babies died at birth. And uh, there's a conservative estimate that there were at least 18 walled-off areas that they built in the city to keep the different ethnic groups apart because there was so much tension and so much violence. Okay? This is where the church next went to. All right? When I uh, read um, Ephesians 2, verse 14... For he himself, Christ is, for Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Then verse 16 says, In this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Whenever I used to read this passage, this, this passage about being one in Christ, this passage that talks about these dividing walls of hostility. I used to think Paul, you know, he was an educated guy, and he's just using this, you know, flowery, poetic language to get his point across. But then as we think about what we just learned in chapters 1 through 11 in Acts, you go, no, 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 no. There's, there's something else going on here, right? Paul, the great persecutor of the church, was converted here within chapters 1 through 11, just a couple of chapters ago, right? The great persecutor of the church was converted. And he is, in a sense, playing in the minor leagues for a couple of chapters. And then in chapter 11, gets called up to play big league ball, right? So for the very first time, he's with the apostles. They're there in Antioch, and they're making disciples for over a year. They're discipling people, and they're in this sea of humanity. And Paul remembers... These literal walls, these at least 18 walled off areas. And he remembers being in the middle of this, this sea of people and thinking, man, let the walls come down. The walls on the other side, these things that we don't normally see, these things that we don't normally connect to, these things that we don't expect or maybe even desire. But let these walls of hostility come down because the message of the gospel is that powerful. It's not domesticated. It takes us there, this trajectory. I think our application is twofold this morning. One is... um, just more global, and I just want to say a word about the conference and the denomination. Um, we are planting a, a new church every two to three weeks as a denomination. There are um, over, 
I believe it's 47 projects that are in the works right now and 25 projects for 2015 that are slated to come online, uh, we trust. Uh, that's amazing. That represents uh, missional momentum and people coming to Christ and new uh, neighborhoods being reached, new cities being reached. It's exciting. Over 15,000 people said yes to Jesus over this last year in the Evangelical Covenant Church. That is amazing. Yes. Amen. Amen. Churches here in our conference, uh, churches uh, up in Mount Vernon and Burlington area, they see that their school district is 30% Hispanic. They look at their churches and like, that, we're not representing the neighborhood. What are we going to do about that? They've uh, started several years ago uh, the, a ministry called Children of the Valley. It's an after-school program. And now that uh, they're in the middle of some transition themselves, they're asking themselves, okay, yeah, I think God is calling us to start a Spanish-speaking ministry. Not to be kind of this thing out here, but because this is who we are as a community. And what does that mean for us? What do we need to let go of? What do we need to walk towards? What do we need to create? Who do we need to bring in? They're asking a lot of hard questions right now. We have uh, our church in Kent, Kent Covenant Church. Um, they're helping sponsor uh, several different language uh, ministries, but they've made the decision. It's like, we want these churches to become covenant churches, and we want to invest in these pastors becoming covenant pastors, and these churches becoming official covenant churches. And so we have uh, two uh, Hispanic churches that are coming in to, we're um, doing a special assessment of them this coming week. Pray for us this coming weekend. And uh, that's exciting. That churches are starting to see their neighborhoods. They're seeing the changing demographics and they're saying, hey, you know, that, that's not something to, to run away from or to fear or to, to hang on to what is ours. But God, where are you taking us as a group of 78 churches? Boy, I, I am so uh, inspired by our uh, forebears in the covenant. These crazy Swedes, right? <laughs> These crazy Swedes that, that were sitting there, and this is my oversimplification of what went down, but it's like, ah, we don't want to really become a denomination. Oh, should we become a denomination? Well, we'll become a denomination only if we commit to this, that we covenant, that's our name, covenant together, that we would bring our resources together to do more as a collection of churches than we could ever do as individual churches. And they said yes to that, right? They were already looking at Alaska and China. They were already reaching out literally to the, to the orphans and to the widows. They were already reaching out to the elderly. And that was just part of our DNA as a denomination, and that is continuing to flow. And as I make my way around to our 78 churches here in our region, <clears throat> in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana, I'm excited I'm excited because I'm listening to your leaders and I'm listening to your pastors and I'm hearing this holy wrestling of God. How do we stay on this trajectory? How do you continue to, to, to move us there and to, to challenge us to be in that trajectory and not to sell out? I love that. I think our second application is this. What does this mean for us as individuals? Right? We can't come into a, a day of worship and, and to sing songs and to pray and to give our offerings and, and, and just to leave it there, right? We're, we're here to worship God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, right? What does that mean for us? What do we believe? And how do our actions show that? What do our actions actually show what we believe? What do we believe about what flows out of the cross? Are we domesticating it in our lives? Or is it running free? How does this look? 
We all have that stuff, right? Maybe for you, there's this thing, right, that's holding you down. There is a decision that you need to make, right? Or there's a person you know you need to talk to. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you, right? Or there's this thing that you've been hiding. And Jesus is saying, this is what flows out of the cross, out of darkness into light, out of death into freedom. Join me on this trajectory. And so as an act of worship, I pray that whatever it is that the Spirit is stirring in your heart this morning, that you would just say yes to him. That you would say yes to him. I was at this conference a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, it was a discipleship conference. And the speaker said that um, when we as pastors don't see transformation in our people, we often revert to just giving a lot of information. Right? My prayer for you, church, Evergreen Church, is that this is not just about information. That your life is not just about information. It's not just about consuming but being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that is real in your life and you saying yes to Jesus, right? That the Holy Spirit power is there, that committed community is being expressed, that radical generosity is being uh, experienced, that healing is happening, cycles of addiction are being broken, that everybody is all in, right? Not left over time, but prioritize sacrificial time, not settling for handicap parking, right? For tithing as a starting point, for giving God our all, keeping short accounts, right? Growing uh, a grace-filled, truth-embracing community, following Jesus to the Samarias and the Antiochs of Seattle. Powerful or domesticated? God, we thank you so much for these 11 chapters. We thank you for setting forth this trajectory that flows out of your cross. And God, we want to make it our individual and collective confession that we believe that what flows out of the reality of you, of the cross, is powerful. That it changes our very lives. It causes us to move from places of comfort to discomfort, holy discomfort. Places of brokenness to places of wholeness. God, help us to experience that. That truly, as we do life and ministry together, that we all would collectively find ourselves right in the middle of this trajectory. We say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.